0: And so, when we let go of control of what they already are, then we can begin to help them be who they are. But we can't let go of that unless we let go of our own attachment to what their experience is and and what they're experiencing every day and who they become and what their path is in life.
1: Welcome to the Tilt Parenting Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and today's episode explores the idea of emotional intelligence, which according to Psychology Today, is the ability to identify and manage your own emotions and the emotions of others. To talk about this, I'm bringing on Amy Steinler, a certified life coach and emotional intelligence trainer who's recently begun working with parents raising uniquely wired kids and introducing them to the idea of using emotional intelligence as a way to help them honor their child's path. She does this through her program, Perfectly Flawed Parenting. If you're a brain science nerd like me, you will love our conversation, which goes into the idea of how our emotions are data and information that, when recognized and explored, can actually serve us and support us in being better parents. Amy also shares with us a ton of resources, books, experts, websites. I think the show notes page for this episode is longer than any previous podcast. So if you're someone who likes to dive deep, this episode is for you. As always, thanks for listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. To learn more about Tilt, visit www.tiltparenting.com. Hi, everyone. It's Debbie Reber here with the Tilt Parenting Podcast. And today I am really happy to welcome to the show, Amy Steinler. Hey, Amy.
0: Hi, Debbie. It's such a pleasure and an honor to be here. And just a little background
1: for listeners. Amy is a life coach and an emotional intelligence coach who, I took this from your website, considers herself a collaborator, a co-conspirator, counselor, and cheerleader for her clients' best lives. And Amy works with many different kinds of clients. And incidentally, Amy and I have known each other for many years now because we did a life coach program training together back in 2011. But what prompted me to bring her on the podcast today was that recently Amy led a workshop for parents who have children with very high IQs, but who are struggling with some aspect of emotional intelligence. And after seeing the kinds of things Amy shared with this community of parents, I just thought it would be really useful insight for parents in the TILT community. So with that, I think probably a good place to start today is just if you could explain to us or define what exactly emotional intelligence is.
0: So there are so many great definitions and models of emotional intelligence from Daniel Goleman, who was one of the first researchers to use the term emotional intelligence, and he also uses the term social intelligence, to the emotional intelligence uh, assessment that I use, which was created by a researcher named Reuven Baron, which looks at emotional intelligence in terms of 15 specific skills, which is a great way to look at it. And then there's Travis Bat- Bradbury, who does emotional Intelligence 2.0, which you see in every single airport, bookstore. Um, But for me, I have my own way of thinking about it after uh, reading about it and working with it for a while. And my thought is that first you need to know something about emotions. You're going to need emotional literacy before you get to emotional intelligence. Like you, you need to be able to read before you can get a PhD in something. And the thing you need to know about emotions, first and foremost, is that they are data. Emotions are data. They are information. And I find that this really helps left brain directed thinkers, the the logical lefties, I like to call them, accept that information. If emotions are data, then they can accept it as information as opposed to something that takes them off track. It's what really puts them on track when it comes to how they want to behave and how they want to make decisions. So when I think about emotional intelligence, then it's the ability to gather, interpret, analyze, and, and act on that data. First, you have to know what you're feeling, when you're feeling it, what triggered it, and how the emotional energy of your response affects everyone around you. So one of the ways of, of understanding emotion and getting it under control is to find a name for it. And I found that the parents relate to this because they, they don't necessarily have a full vocabulary of emotional terms, you know. They've got mad, sad, glad, but you know, under mad there could be frustrated, there could be fearful, there could be furious. There you know, there are so many nuances of emotion, and the broader your emotional vocabulary, the greater the opportunity you have to name it and tame it and get more information from it.
1: I do remember when Asher was younger, And I think one of the first times that we took him to see, you know, I guess she was a therapist, this is when he was maybe four, we all went as a family, because he his anger was the big emotion. But we did, she gave us kind of a worksheet that we had up on our refrigerator that named a ton of emotions. So we could start just expanding the vocabulary. So, so I I guess that's the same idea. But it's a great point that the more nuanced you can get in the way you identify an emotion the more you can understand that and how it impacts you.
0: Yeah I'd agree with that you know you're looking for information here emotions are data right so what is that information so so I mentioned gathering the information gathering it means turning to your body and 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 you know from your experience that emotions are felt in the body right we don't we don't think our emotions we feel them where do we feel things in our body so gathering that information means having uh, a familiarity with the way your body responds to emotion or expresses the emotion. And spending a little time there feeling those feelings fully so you can, you know, move on to the next bit of, of interpreting it is really important. So one of the things, and, and maybe you can talk about how you do this with Asher, you know, how do you sit with the feeling physically and describe it so that you know what it is next time it comes up. It's easier to identify.
1: Well, you know, as you're talking about this, it's this very same therapist that we worked with, we came up with a character together called the mad monster. I think there was actually even before the mad monster, there was another name for him. But we had to kind of externalize it a little bit. It's really hard concept for young kids I mean, it's hard enough for adults, I think, to start to really understand and recognize when this stuff is happening and what it feels like, especially if you're trying to catch it before something bubbles into a bigger emotion. But uh, I think it's really hard for younger kids to make that connection with their body. But that's one way that we did it. We kind of created this, it was almost an alter ego, that took over his body that we would say, Oh, looks like the mad monster is shown up again. And what is the mad monster feeling? And that was a way that he was able to kind of reflect on that. And then there's, you know, as kids get older that, you know, there's the talk of how is your engine running, right? Is your engine running fast? Is it running too slow? So there's different strategies, but it is it's a really, I think, a complicated and complex skill for kids to learn, to really be able to identify what that feels like.
0: I agree. And I think, you know, we as parents have to model that in a way. A couple of things came up for me as we were talking. One is the metaphor, right, the, the metaphor of the mad monster or the engine running. Metaphors are very personal, and if we know our own personal metaphors for what we're feeling and what we're going through, we can help our kids find their own. because. You know, maybe it's a child who doesn't relate to mechanics of an engine, but might relate to something else. So I I love that we're talking about metaphors, because that's another one of my favorite things. And just to keep this, this conversation about parenting, you know, how do you gather the data? How do you drop into your body and understand what you're feeling before your own feelings ratchet up and affect those around you, right? You know, step one here of emotional intelligence is really understanding what an emotion feels like in your body. And, and to your point, it takes some practice. You know, the second piece of this is interpreting that data. You know, which which takes things up a notch, translating your body's physical language into something your logical mind, your prefrontal cortex can appreciate so that it can support you in understanding what you're feeling. You know, what's this emotion telling me? Here's what I'm feeling. What's it telling me? And then to analyze it and dig a little bit deeper about what that emotion is telling you and what it's like. And that's a good place to sort of come up uh, with a metaphor for helping you understand it. And then acting on it, what do I do with that information? How do I use it to make my life better and to make the life of my child better? You know, And that's a place most of us find meaning, which is something that I think is very important.
1: We've had uh, Margaret Webb, who I believe you know, on the show a couple of times. And we have talked a lot about this kind of in the moment. Because I think, you know, as you're talking, it's making me reflect on times where I've had you know, kind of those more intense emotional responses to things that are happening, right? I get triggered because of something that is either not going the way I thought it was going to go, or maybe Asher has a big reaction that he takes out on me. So suddenly I'm dealing with that. So we've talked a lot about in that moment of just recognizing that, stepping aside and taking a couple of deep breaths and and also honoring that emotional response. So I love that we're taking this now a step further in the conversation, because I think so many of us feel not ashamed, but we feel like we shouldn't be having that strong emotional reaction to something that if we were a better parent, we'd be able to have it under control, or we feel bad about blowing up or whatever it is. And so you know, there is that first step of even acknowledging and becoming comfortable with like, okay, this is this is my emotional response. And it's not a bad thing. And like you said, it's information. So, so now this is a way to deepen that connection so that you can create meaning out of that.
0: Exactly. And I think, you know, part of what I talked about with the the parents in the in that talk that I gave recently, you know, was, was, you know, becoming a coach to your children and, and um, really what I do and what you as a parent, uh, you know, I see doing from what I'm reading and from your podcast is holding or creating or, or helping clear a space. And it's a specific kind of space. It's the space between stimulus and response, right? You know, that Viktor Frankl quote from Man's Search for Meaning, he says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And I think that encapsulates everything you need to know about emotional intelligence right there. But the trick is, how do we expand that space? What do we do with that space? What do we do in that space? How do we hold that space for our children? How do we just pause in the middle of a circumstance that troubles us and allow ourselves to do the next thing that we do as guides and coaches, which is to help people create opportunities or see options for themselves. So I like to, to stress the importance of knowing that there are options and teaching each other about what our options are, even when we think we don't have any. I use an exercise called have to versus choose to, where you write down everything you think you have to do and you change I have to to I choose to because. So that you know that everything's a choice. And once you're conscious of your motivation for making that choice, it becomes less of a burden. For example, you know, someone says, well, I have to to make dinner for my children. You know, I have to feed my children. Well, you know, you don't. You choose to because you want them to be healthy and well-nourished. You choose to because you don't want (laughs) to go to jail for child endangerment. But these are choices you're making. So we can go down to the most elemental have to and see it as a choice and see where that opens up some thinking.
1: I really love that because I think so many parents raising differently wired kids feel so trapped and stuck because often it seems like there really are very few options, whether it's with schooling or many circumstances in their lives, we already feel often as if we have fewer options, right? Our options are limited, because we have these extra considerations with many decisions that we make as parents. And it can be really easy to get stuck in that place of feeling like, we only have this one way to go. And for me personally, and and in our family, we threw things on their head in a major way by making the life change we made. And I know that that's not reasonable for most people to do what we did. But it, it was a kind of a big example of how everything really is up for debate, everything is up for questioning. And there is choice in everything. So I really love that perspective. And what a great exercise the have to versus choose to that little reframe can really have a big impact.
0: I agree. You know, it, you, you took something that seemed like, you know, that there weren't a lot of choices, and you turned it into an opportunity. So the last piece, you know, what we do as guides and coaches, and, and what your, your listeners can do for their for themselves first, right? Always for yourself first, put your own oxygen mask on first, you know, you've got to model these things. But the piece that is so important is is helping your children and helping yourself connect to the sense of meaning and purpose that everyone needs, right? And Maslow's hierarchy, it's part of the self-actualization piece, you know, really realizing our individual potential and the self-transcendence piece that he added later, which is, you know, more social responsibility, more about a, a goal, something altruistic, something bigger than ourselves. And Lord knows we need a lot more of that in this world right now. So, you know, one of my gifts is I tend to see people's potential better than they can, um, which is not surprising. And I reflect it back to them in a way that they can believe in it too. And again, that's something that you, you practice with yourself when you practice with your child. So you're, you're creating space, you're guiding, you're, you're looking for opportunities or options, and you're connecting everything you do to something that's meaningful to you.
1: Can you give us an example as that relates to a parent maybe that you've worked with or a situation that listeners could relate to?
0: So maybe we can use you as an example. I'm thinking about how you worked through with Asher the tantrum piece and sort of getting through the meltdown phase, which I I know is is not over altogether, but has really changed was there a way that you helped open up opportunities for him to choose differently and you know was there a way that you connected to something with greater purpose because I remember him saying I I I realized I didn't want to tear up my work anymore Mm -hmm. there was something meaningful in that for him.
1: I'm on the road this month and oh man, am I missing my sweet kitties, Haskell and Lua. They've been a part of our family for more than two years and I'm so grateful they're keeping Darren such good company while I'm away. If you're getting a new pet soon, you're probably already thinking about everything you'll need to buy. Food, toys, a cozy bed, doggy bags or litter boxes. Something you may not be thinking about though is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit aspca slash parenting That's aspca slash parenting Again, that's aspca slash parenting This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three in one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. I think the things that have helped the most or made the biggest difference was, well, there are three things that are coming up for me. One is that I stopped making it about me. That was a biggie when I reminded myself oh, this is nothing to do with me. This only has to do with Asher not having the skills he needs to be able to handle this situation or respond in a more appropriate way. So as soon as I made it less personal for me, then I started responding in a different way. And then I was able to be empathetic. And when I can be empathetic in those situations and really kind of lean in instead of, you know, retreating or wanting him to retreat, That also shifted things because the moment that he feels heard or understood, that tends to deescalate what's going on. And then I think the third thing, you know, when you were just mentioning how he realized he didn't want to destroy his work. And that's something I shared in a podcast about frustration that he used to just destroy his work when he was really frustrated and then feel bad about that. I think for him, it's been helping him not feel ashamed of those big reactions because he tends to and now he's almost a you know, he's going to be 12 this summer. So he's, he's moving into some different territory in terms of his hormones and emotions and that preteen thing going on. So I'm very cognizant of that shame piece and wanting to help him recognize that, you know there's no such thing as a bad emotion that shame is really a waste of well i don't know if it's a waste of emotion but shame we don't need to go to a shame place that we can be gentle with ourselves that we can choose to not judge ourselves and we can just be kind and move on so that's what we've done here
0: well and that you know that is perfect because it you know also opens you up to be able to see the opportunities and the options, because if you are reacting and making, about, making it about you, it's a lot harder to open up and respond to what's actually present, as opposed to what the voices in your head are telling you. You know, that sort of leads us sort of nicely to uh, the piece that I sent you about perfectly flawed parenting, which, by the way, we're going to offer to all of your listeners. Awesome. Which is about, you know, thinking about parenting in terms of perfection, control, and judgment, right? Letting go of those three things, which first requires knowing that we're doing it, right? Mm-hmm. So being a perfectionist, we're trying to control things or our children or their reactions. And then the, that piece that you just mentioned about judging ourselves and judging them, So, you know, this this perfection piece or the way that we want to be really great, perfect parents, and that stands in our way when we're setting the bar higher and higher all the time. We never reach it, which gives the critical voice in our heads a a full-time job, right? Gives them something to talk about. (laughs) So, you know, as we're trying to be, either try to be a better parent than ours, were, or trying to measure up to someone else's expectations or, or even worse, your idea of what their expectations are. Comparing yourself to someone else's experience of parenting, or again, your idea of what their parenting is, really sets us up.
1: When we first discussed you coming onto the podcast, and you sent me this information, the perfectly flawed parenting handout, I loved it. And it so resonated with me, especially the the perfection, the control, the judgment pieces, and I think it's so spot on for what so many parents, I think parents everywhere, but especially parents raising kids who are some way moving through the world differently. So we have this kind of added pressure, added eyes on us. It's just a different experience. And that perfection piece, and I'd love you to kind of talk about each of these in more detail if you, if you can, but I mean, all of these were huge for me, they had me so stuck. And so kind of in my head, just a complete mess. Because I was just focused so much on I'm not doing a good job. It's not the way it's supposed to be. People are thinking I'm failing as a parent, people are judging, like it was so many voices in my head. And that was that more than anything Asher could have done. That was what was setting me up for disaster.
0: Well, it's so funny, you know what's coming up for me as you're saying that is you know how many parents have ever thought, "Oh, if someone would just give me the manual, I will follow the rules, right? Just tell me what to do." And the irony is, of course, that you know you're you're always inventing it as you go along. you're you're creating the process of parenting as you do it. It's happening on the fly. So you know, getting it perfect, what's the measurement how do you how do you define that? You know, books, lots of great books have been written on perfectionism and shame, and I love Brene Brown for this, so I recommend all your listeners take a look at the gifts of imperfection and Daring Greatly, if they haven't, to to learn how to speak about your shame so you can take away its power. You know, I think you've done this beautifully, Deborah. I I really do. And what comes up about perfectionism, and again, the way that you've done this, is that you've replaced perfectionism with authenticity you know, you've found a way to speak the truth about your experience, you have found people you can trust, to talk about these feelings, you know, talk about your feelings of failure, which, again, feelings are information that you can use to change the way you respond. And, and that's exactly what I've seen you doing.
1: So it is about being open and sharing then, I mean, would you say that that's one of the keys is finding a way to speak your truth
0: well, it, it certainly helped me quiet my, my biggest neurosis, right? I was a straight A student, man. I got to get it right. I got to get it right. I got to get it right. And, You know, that feeling of, of needing to get it right stood in my way. It killed my curiosity. It kept me from experiencing the moment, which you mentioned earlier, right? How, how, what are we missing by wishing things were different? We're missing what's actually happening. And what's actually happening is the truth of our human experience. It's got everything in there. It's got joy. It's got sorrow. It's got pain. It's got happiness. It's got everything. And as much as we'd like to only have the joy and happiness piece, it just isn't going to happen that way. I said something to a client recently who kept talking about all these obstacles that were coming up for her. And I said, well, you know, I I hate to break it to you, but the obstacles never, never stop coming. So how do you want to see them? What do you want to do with them?
1: Yeah, and Asher's always saying, if the bad things didn't happen or the obstacles didn't happen, we wouldn't we wouldn't enjoy or appreciate the great things, you know. He's always able to reframe that and it's a it he helps me <laughs> reframe that as well. That it is part of a full human experience is having those highs and lows and being present for all of it.
0: And I think it it's so, so important to have connection. Right. You, you've got to feel connection with people who get you, you know, and you're creating and one of the wonderful things about Tilt Parenting and I'm not getting paid to say this, folks. One of the most <laughs> wonderful things about it is they're creating a community where people can be comfortable being who they are, they can be comfortable being imperfect, they can be comfortable feeling their shame and expressing it, they can be comfortable wishing they could blame someone else for all their problems and then realizing, oh, well, I guess I can't, so maybe I'll spend my energy elsewhere. So, you know, good on you for creating this place.
1: Yes, and I did not pay Amy to say that. Thank you for saying that. You're welcome. Um, so letting go of perfection. So we talked about perfection. Is there anything else in that piece before we move on to control that is kind of something that parents who are perfectionists and many of our kids are as well, so that our kids don't fall far from the tree, ways that parents can kind of model imperfection for our kids. So it's not only helping us, but helping the whole family.
0: Yeah, I think the process of learning emotional intelligence and learning how to deal with what you're feeling and how to see it as data and how to interpret that data, you know, sharing that with your kids and saying, look, I'm learning as I go too. Mm-hmm. I've never stopped learning. And I, as much as I would love to get it perfect every time, <laughs> dang it, it's just not happening that way. So I think modeling the process and having a vocabulary for the process. And that's one of the things that the emotional intelligence models that I work with Give you, you know, they give you a vocabulary and a framework to discuss your experience. What are we experiencing today? You know, what's it like for us today? You know, and that's one of my favorite questions, by the way. You know, instead of saying, how are you? You know, what's it like for you today? What are you experiencing today? Which gets you into a much deeper conversation.
1: That's a nice dinner table question to bring up. We used to say and we don't do this anymore. And we we have dinner together almost every night. And we do talk about a lot of things right now it tends to be politics.
0: <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> but
1: uh, we used to say what went well for you today and what was hard for you today. But can you re- restate your your that question one more time? I really like the way you worded that what's it like for you? Yeah, I like that. What's it like for you today?
0: Or what are you experiencing? And, you know, speaking of politics, I mean, we're all experiencing some very strong emotions around the political climate in Europe and in America. And, you know, I think talking about what emotions it's bringing up is just as important as talking about the political issues themselves. Mm -hmm. What am I feeling? You know, how am I feeling about control, right? This brings up the next piece after perfection, which is control and what we're trying to control. And with with our kids, I think, and, and I got to do a full disclosure here. I am not a parent. I am the sort of second set of parents that kids come to because I'm not invested in their outcome. and not invested in having them turn out a certain way. So I just want to fully disclose that I am not a parent. And so I'm, I'm not coaching kids. I'm coaching parents, people, adults, so on the control piece, you know, what, what are we trying to control? Are, are we trying to keep our kids from getting hurt or disappointed? You know, or worse, are we, are we asking them to fulfill our own expectations for our lives or their lives without realizing it? And I think when you, when you realized and said, oh, my God, it's not about me, you broke that chain right there, right? You, you were no longer, you know, asking Asher to behave in a way that was better for you. I ha- you know, I have a really unlikely source of parenting advice, and that's uh, from Gloria Steinem, one of the mothers of the feminist movement, who said something along the lines of, you know, our children are not ours, really. You know, our job is to help them become what they already are. I love that. And so when we let go of control of what they already are, then we can begin to help them be who they are. But we can't let go of that unless we let go of our own attachment to what their experience is and, and what they're experiencing every day and who they become and what their path is in life.
1: I think control, too, again, is such a big piece for many parents, but parents of differently wired kids, perhaps especially so, because there are so many things that feel out of our control that it can be very disconcerting, especially when we realize this path is not going to look the same way as a, a quote unquote, typical path, though we're not just going to necessarily be able to go to preschool and move on to the public school and do this and just kind of n- nicely progress and have all those typical rites of passage. So there is a lot of feeling of out of control. And perhaps we even try to find control then in different ways. And You talking about this is also brought to mind Alfie Cohn. Are you familiar with Alfie Cohn?
0: No, but I'm writing it down. Tell me.
1: He's written a number of books, but the his kind of signature book is called Unconditional Parenting. And it is that very idea that there's so many pieces of a child's life that we as parents want to control, whether it's how they sit at the table or what, you know, kind of every little choice. And after... I read his book, and he's really saying, let's question what do you really need to be controlling here? And and how is that benefiting your child? after I read his book, it made me start noticing just the little things that I was trying to control, whether again, it was like how Asher used his utensil or how he poured water, you know, me being concerned about it spilling, or you know, there's so many things that we as parents are wanting to control. And when you start setting yourself free from that, and letting your child, like, as you said, you're you think of yourself as a guide, if you think of yourself, as their parent, as a guide, and your job is to kind of guide them and support them rather than control them, that changes things immensely too, not just for the parent, but the child responds really well when they feel like you're not micromanaging their every move.
0: Yeah, I love that. You know, and a lot of this is very much in the purview of a sort of Byron Katie, what are we believing that's causing us pain? You know, are we believing that if he doesn't hold his utensil right, he will fail as a human being? Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what is it that we could possibly be believing that's causing us pain? And where's the should? You know, he should do this differently. I should be a better parent. You know, all of those shoulds come up in the in the control piece. So this is a great place to become very self-aware, as you said of what we're really thinking about our circumstances and our children's circumstances and what they're doing in the moment. Because our reaction to those circumstances, how we pours water, how we hold a utensil, I love that example. This is how we're teaching our children how to be in the world.
1: Oh, it's all connected, isn't it?
0: <laughs> it is all connected. And you know, for me, it comes down to one thing, self-awareness, 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 and coming back to that. Because we we lose sight of it so easily. And until I become the Buddha, I'm going to continue to practice that. How do I come back to an awareness of what I'm feeling and what that information is telling me so that I can respond creatively in this moment? You know, you've heard Martha Beck say we, we, you know, in our best lives live in perpetual creative response to whatever is present not to whatever story we're making up in our head and not to the critical voice that tells us how wrong or bad we are, but to what's actually here. It gives us a a moment to do some reality testing, right? That takes us back to the space between, between whatever's happening and our response. That's where we can dwell. That's where we can gain more self-awareness. So practicing, expanding that space, exploring, taking a breath, whatever it is that you have to do to dwell there more often.
1: If you listen to this show, you probably know that at least one in five children is differently wired. But did you know that approximately one in two women will experience hair thinning? If you're part of that 50%, you are absolutely not alone. But because hair thinning for women isn't something people openly talk about going through it can feel lonely and frustrating. So why not do something about it with Nutrafol? Nutrifol is the number 1 dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Everyone's root causes of hair thinning are different, so a one size fits all approach to hair growth isn't gonna cut it. Nutrifol has multiple formulas tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow throughout different stages, postpartum, menopause, even for different lifestyles like a plant-based diet. To get your personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes, you can take a simple hair wellness quiz on nutrifull.com And because there's no prescription required, you can quickly get set up online with free shipping and automated deliveries, which make it so much easier to stick with your new hair care routine. See results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrifull is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to nutrifull.com and enter the promo code TILT. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code TILT. That's Nutrafol.com promo code TILT. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely, and just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches It is for me, and I'm sure it is for many parents listening, one of my biggest goals for Asher is to help him become more self aware. That is what we spend a lot of time talking about, because the more you know, these aren't things that he is naturally really good at the social emotional stuff is tougher for him. So again, that putting on the oxygen mask first is a great metaphor, but we have to start with ourselves. And then by us doing it is not only modeling this for our kids, but it, it shifts things and can change the whole dynamic.
0: Absolutely. And once you teach it to them, you know, kids have a very finely tuned BS meter. And if you are uh, do as I say, not as I do, you will get busted. So it, it'll keep you humble. Definitely.
1: <laughs> Could you talk for just a few minutes about the judgment, the third piece of your um, three-step approach, what the judgment piece is?
0: Yeah, this is, this is a good one, right? So your inner critic, my inner critic, gets so used to being the first one you consult that she doesn't even wait to be asked for her opinion anymore. She is in the driver's seat, right? So my, my critical voice is on it. And there's a wonderful book called The Art of Possibilities by Roz and Ben Zander. And they've got an exercise called giving yourself an A and permission to stretch and try different things and fail again and again. So what he did was he noticed that his music students, he's the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic, and he teaches music. And He noticed that his students were not taking chances. They were so restricting their creativity and therefore their ability because they weren't trying new things and practicing new things. And he decided to give everyone an A in the course on day one and then ask them all to write him a letter saying what they did, like in the past tense, what they did to deserve that A. And so they all wrote in this letter about you know, what they tried and how they did it and uh, what was new. And he said it was amazing the change in their process. So throughout the course, he noticed them trying new things, venturing out of their comfort zone, failing and trying again. So what if we did that for ourselves as parents or as human beings? What if you gave yourself an A as a parent right now and allowed yourself to try new things, see what works? fail and try again. And still get an A.
1: I love that. I want to read I want to read the book. I love that story about the music teacher. And that is something I've never heard before. That idea of just taking the pressure off, giving yourself an A and then seeing what happens.
0: Yeah, and you could do that. You could write yourself the letter about why you deserve that A you know, in the past tense and say, well, I deserved to this say because I, you know, and, and and let yourself think about that. So, you know, all of these exercises are in the perfectly flawed parenting handout that we're going to offer to your listeners so they can play with it, play with it. See where it takes you. See if it gives you some relief from whatever might be causing you to believe that you don't have options or that you're not a good parent.
1: Right. And it also, one of the things you have on in your handout is, the word curiosity jumped out at me. And that is one of my favorite words in the world. And I think that applies in this case as well. So if you give yourself that a upfront, and then you kind of make that list of the things that you're trying, you can approach it with curiosity instead of judgment and noticing like, huh, this is interesting. When I did this, I felt this way or I wonder what will happen if I try this. And it that feels like it could be a game changer for a lot of people.
0: I love that. And it, it actually was a game changer for me. I realized that in my quest to get it right and to be the A student and to be the smart coach, right, be the smartest person in the room, it killed my curiosity. And, I, you know, I don't think those two things can exist side by side, the need to be right and the need to get it right and the need to be perfect and that sense of wonder and curiosity, I think one kills the other. And without our sense of curiosity, I don't know. I I think we'd be missing a lot of what our lives are all about.
1: It'd be really boring. (laughs) I think so. Yeah. So, okay. This is a lot. I My mind is kind of spinning right now. So you've mentioned so many great resources, first of all, books. And I just want to let listeners know that I will on the show notes include links to all of the books that Amy mentioned. I know I'm going to be checking out some of them myself. And Amy, where can people find you? And are there any other kind of resources that you want to share before we say goodbye?
0: Sure. Well, they can find me at insightoutlife.com i-n-s-i-g-h-t-o-u-t-l-i-f-e insightoutlife.com and there's a contact form there. If you contact me, I will email you the Perfectly Flawed Parenting handout, and there's no obligation. You don't have to join my mailing list or anything like that. I also want to mention just a resource on emotional intelligence that I discovered somehow, and maybe you even sent, sent it to me, Debbie, um, sixseconds.org. It's the number six seconds.org. It's a lot of content on emotional intelligence, and they've got a specific area just for parenting.
1: Oh, cool. No, I have not heard of that before.
0: Oh, it's so interesting. I spend a fair amount of time poking around there and one that you introduced me to, heysigmund.com. Karen Young, I think, is a brilliant writer. You'll see me guest blogging there soon. Uh, Love what she does. And I'd I'd love to to hear you do a podcast with her because I think she's phenomenal.
1: Yes, I agree. Fantastic content. I share a lot of her information on the Tilt Parenting Facebook page. Really
0: great insights. Yeah. And then the last piece, are you familiar with brain pickings?
1: I am I haven't been on that site in a while. But yeah, do you want to explain what that is?
0: Yeah, I mean, she curates all the most interesting books on creativity and art and thought leadership and being a human being, basically. If you're interested in deeper, really fascinating perspectives on all aspects of the deeply examined life, that is a wonderful place to go and let your mind wander and make new connections that you'll be able to use uh, in your parenting and in your life.
1: I love that you mentioned that resource because it's also just a reminder that so much of us being successful or fulfilled parents and supporting our kids is by keeping our ourselves filled up emotionally, creatively, energetically. So thanks for sharing that resource, too. I think so much that's out there for parents is about the kids and what they need and books on how to help the kid. So this is really feels very nurturing to support the parents. And I love that.
0: Well, it's, it's about inspiration, right? We, we, we crave inspiration. You never know where it's going to come from. So the more of these kinds of things you can check out, the more inspiration you will have, you know, it will be a, a strange connection perhaps, but it will shake something loose for you that you weren't thinking about. That's the way the brain works. We should do another podcast on how the brain works.
1: <laughs> all right, I'm making a note of that. <laughs> I know, obviously, we could be talking for a while. I'm, I'm feeling like we should wrap this one up because uh, I, I try to keep these podcasts to a reasonable length for our busy parents. So I think we will definitely have to do a part two here.
0: Well, what a what a delight and a pleasure. And I love the work that you're doing. It's so important. And to all of you parents out there who are struggling, Debbie's been through it. And I just love watching that process for both of you. And I'm an asher voyeur. I'm watching him grow up and it's phenomenal.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Amy. And thank you for being on the show and sharing all of this really useful insight for parents. I really appreciate it.
0: It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much for tuning into the Tilt Parenting podcast. To learn more about Amy Steinler and emotional intelligence, and get the links to all of the resources mentioned in today's show, visit the show notes for this episode at tiltparenting.com/session26. Also, as Amy mentioned, she's making the 15-page handout from her awesome, perfectly flawed parenting program available to listeners. The handout is packed with information and includes a bunch of exercises to help you explore and apply emotional intelligence as it relates to you and your parenting style. To get that handout, visit Amy's website at insightoutlife.com contact and send her a note saying you'd like a copy of the handout. Again, I'll include a link to that on the show notes page. And before I go, a quick request. We're on a mission to build our listenership for the Tilt Parenting Podcast. If you want to help us, here are two things you can do. First, leave an honest review on iTunes. This helps the show gain more visibility in the iTunes universe. And second, share your favorite episode in your social media world, your Facebook page, parenting groups you hang out in online and more. We want to make sure the parents who'd benefit from these conversations know that we're out there. Thanks for helping us spread the word. And thanks again for listening. For more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I am Rachel Shepardota and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.